Hello, and welcome to The New Story Is. My name is Dave Ursillo. I am the founder of The New Story Company and the host of this podcast. The New Story Is explores the stories of our time and invites guests to share what new stories they are putting forth in the world. On today's show, have you ever heard yourself say, why bother? Our guest, best-selling author Jennifer Loudon, certainly has. In fact, she wanted to examine this rhetorical question, why bother, and the story behind its meaning, a sort of signal that we're giving up before we really try. Her book, Why Bother? Discover the Desire for What's Next, turns the rhetorical question into a literal one and a personal invitation to figure out what we really want, what our stake is in trying, and how to access our desire to pursue it. For 30 years, Jen has been an author, teacher, and leading voice on self-care and creative transformation. She's appeared on The Oprah Winfrey Show. She's a former columnist for Whole Living, a Martha Stewart magazine, and her work has been featured in People, USA Today, CNN, and two of author Brene Brown's best-selling books, Daring Greatly and Dare to Lead. With close to a million copies of her books in print in nine languages— Jen joined me for this interview on February 19th, 2020, before the COVID-19 pandemic really took hold in the United States. I thought we'd republish it today because it makes for a really great follow-up conversation to our previous episode with author Kat Velos on caring. If you haven't heard that interview yet, do go back and have a listen. Since this interview was originally recorded, Jennifer has published a follow-up book to Why Bother called Get Your Bother On?, a guided journal to discover what's next. It features 200 bite-sized exercises and unique journaling prompts to help you access your desire and explore what you want to bother with deep down. You can find a link to both books in the episode description of this podcast. And when you purchase using one of our affiliate links to bookshop.org, a competitor to Amazon, you not only help support our show, but also support our guest authors and local and independent bookstores. Let's begin with Jen reading a brief excerpt from the opening pages of Why Bother. Jen, take it away. Why bother, indeed. Asking why bother is inevitable. It's baked into being human. And it's time to notice, how are you asking the question? Why bother is a pseudo-question, already answered in the negative by resignation. The why bother many of us know all too well insists, you can't, it's been done, it's far too late, and you don't have what it takes. It uses cynicism, the planet's dying, why bother, to bolster its case that nothing you can do really matters. It replays the good old days, followed by a chorus of if onlys and everybody else can, but you. It beats you up for wanting more while at the same time it discourages you by insisting there isn't any more to be had. And conveniently, why bother has political and corporate corruption, environmental disaster, economic injustice, and the way your brain is wired to bolster its case at every turn. Why bother's most familiar side is a grubby bummer, defined by despair and punctuated by long sighs. It shows up as emptiness, blame, numbing out, coasting, complaining, starting something, and then stopping. The desolate kind of why bother means looking only in the rearview mirror of your life, back at your story that no longer makes sense to you or has been taken from you. Or if you're younger, you may find yourself looking into the future and believing all the good stuff of life is either out of your reach or no longer exists. 
It's letting grief over past losses and traumas devour your future. It's giving up on believing there is more for you, a more that can be as satisfying, as enlivening, as meaningful, as beautiful as what has come before or what is yet to be. It's choosing comfort and routine over aliveness and growth. It's believing your story of what's not possible more than the bracing reality of taking action. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Dave. I love talking to you. You're fantastic. Oh, and you are too. You're such a gracious host. I had the pleasure of spending time with Jenny and her husband, Bob, and her dogs. Uh, about, <laughs> about, oh, oh, I guess it was almost uh, two years ago now uh, out in Colorado. And at the time, Jen, we were talking, you had a work in progress um, that eventually went on to become this book, uh, Why Bother? And my first question for you is, um, coming from the, the deepest, nerdiest place in me as a, as a writer and a lover of language and communication, I too, it sounds like you do, um, can sometimes maybe fixate on different like quips and common sayings and things that we colloquially share in our, in our shared lexicon, right? These different phrases that um, we use to mean different things or, or that mean things that sometimes we don't even understand the full power of what these, the stories are. Mm-hmm. And so here... A question, uh, why bother? This is something that you've taken this phrase and you really pulled it apart in the course of this book and, and looking at it from all these different angles and also how, as you say in the excerpt you just read for us, um, this is a pseudo question. It's not actually something that we're, we're inquiring about. It's uh, something that's already answered, as you said, in the negative and by resignation. So Jen, tell me about your relationship to, to these two words. and. You know, if you had to kind of like put a maybe like a date on there or a moment in time, was there a particular reason or story behind how this phrase in particular caught your attention in the ways that it has? That's a great question, Dave. I think there's two ways to answer it. One, probably from a very young age, I have been fascinated and needled and angry and excited by the fact that people give up, that people get cynical, that people turn their back on something that they want on that they t- they turn their back on more, whatever that more might be, more success, more creativity, more connection, more vitality, more health. It, since I was really little, that's just like astonished me and I've wanted to do something about it. And so I think that when I think about where the book started, I would go all the way back to that and where I became fascinated with these different things that we say, whether it's why bother or what's the point or who cares. And then the very moment for this book came, I spent four years and 500 pages writing a memoir that failed completely as a work of literature. Um, and sometimes people take umbrage when I say it failed. You know, how can you say it failed? You changed so much. And out of the ashes of that memoir rose this book. But I wanted to write, uh, I wanted to write my version of my wild, right? I wanted to write a book that you just devoured and you have this experience and you went on this you know, narrative journey with me. And I spent a lot of time and a lot of work and I gave it to a great book coach, Jenny Nash. I paid her to read it. We're friends and she got way more than she bargained for. And she told me later that she, after she scanned it for, she pretty much figured it out pretty soon. It wasn't working. Um, she, took three days to get up the courage to tell me that my work, the book didn't work because you knew how long and hard I'd worked on it. Um, 
And then we coached around what could come out of that. And our, my first book idea, which was actually Jenny's idea, I wrote it. I wrote a book proposal for it. My agent turned it down. Her whole agency turned it down. And I worked on it a little bit more and realized it, it was Jenny's idea, right? It was a good idea, but it wasn't my idea. It wasn't coming from my heart. And I, I told her that. And she said, well, what is coming from your heart? And that's when the phrase, why bother came. And I said, I, I just really want to help people answer this question, why bother? And it was one of those moments that I think we all get in our creative lives, tiny ones and big ones, where something just resonates like, a, like you have become the bell and someone has struck you or your imagination or, you know, God has struck you with a big old gong and you're like, okay, that's it. That's it. Yeah, I I find that so fascinating, Jennifer, because someone who's listening to this is just meeting you for the first time and they hear your extensive resume. I mean, you've been writing professionally um, for almost 30 years, right? And and have been uh, on the Oprah Winfrey show. I think your 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 bio is something that a writer who someone who's a, who's an aspiring writer would say like I could only dream of of accomplishing that much. What did it feel like for you though? You know, despite the bio, to hear from you know someone who, who you hired and respected to say like this that you've been working on four years and five hundred pages doesn't work. Like, what is that? Mm-hmm. It, it would be it's like you know something that we can all relate to and empathize with. It would feel like a crushing blow. I'm sure. For at some point in your career, maybe it, maybe it did now. But what, what did that feel like for you, given your 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 creative professional history, um, to to have that kind of moment happen? Well, uh, you know, I, I I was bummed, but I actually started almost immediately feeling super light. And I started walking around singing Ding Dong, the Wicked Witch is Dead. <laughs> and, and there's a bunch of background to that. And uh, part of that is in, in the four years of writing that book, I became a different person. And I had already known that and acknowledged that and seen that. And so I knew that it was not wasted time. I had rewritten my personal story by taking my history and trying to and turning it into a narrative for someone else. I think there's something about that process when we write our personal stories and we're not just journaling it. I journal a lot. I think journaling is fantastic. You have great journaling prompts, for example. But there was something about trying to turn it into literature, trying to turn it into something that when I work with writers, I, I say you stretch to connect. You have to bring people into the story. Why should they care? And in that process, I understood and learned so much about myself, some of which, of course, became the basis for the Why Bother book, not all of it, but some of it. So I felt like at peace with the benefits. I didn't feel like I had failed in that. And I also learned so much about writing and and part of my business, not the whole part of my, not my whole business, but a part of my business for a long time has been working with writers. And so I really learned how to be a better book coach and writing coach. And so I also knew that had benefit. Um, But I also think that there was a heaviness to trying to make the story work that I had been denying to myself for a long time. I think I knew on some level that it wasn't a narrative arc that I hadn't done what I taught other people to do in memoir. And so I felt a great freedom in letting that go. Now, 
I also, because of all the work I'd done in that story and, and then the work that I started to do in my life, I felt super resilient and I was able to bounce right back and start another book proposal. And, and when that one failed, I was I really, I mean, it sounds weird, but I was able to bounce right back out of that and start this book. So I don't, this is, this, and this is the thing though. This is the thing I haven't said to everybody. All of this was 11 years in the making. I have not written a new book in 11 years. And this is my eighth book. So I wrote book after book after book. And in the last 11 years, my last publisher brought out a paperback version of one of my books to keep it alive, which was great and sweet. And I did an assignment for National Geographic for a book. Um, which was not, you know, it was more like a journal. It took me three weeks to write. <laughs> it is a journal. Um, so it doesn't really count. Right. And um, so you know, this is, <laughs> but this, this, so this, I, I had been through so much, which is what the book is about so much in my life, so much loss, so much um, beating myself up so many years of wondering in the dark and being lost and doubting myself creatively that this I'd come out of it. Right. And I was like, if I don't ever write another book again, that's not who I am anymore. And when I was 11 years ago, I was so much more identified with my work. Mm-hmm. I was yes, so much sounds- more identified. I mean, I still am. I mean, this book is coming out. I want it to become a bestseller. It's highly unlikely, right? The signs are definitely not lining up for it to become a big bestseller. I have definitely had my moments of chagrin and sadness and crawling into bed and going, yeah. <laughs> poor, poor me. Um, but at the same time, I'm like, okay, but I did my best with the book and I'll continue to do my best to get the word out. Absolutely. And I think that that's what, I think what you're describing, Jen, is one of these like paradoxes of the, what the creative professional experiences, right. Mm-hmm. Or what any creative person experiences. And it's, the, it's being in these two worlds, right. One of which is the material, the pragmatic, the physical, the, the business and to put one foot into that space of, like you said, um, doing everything you can to like get the word out, to promote it and to, you know, take a big swing and because you want it to be successful and you want it to be as successful as possible. So it's not like you're, it's not like you just hit publish on Amazon on like, uh, <laughs> Kindle and just go, okay, good luck. Yeah. You know? But, but you, you do the work on the one hand and on the other hand, it sounds like you're also being governed by this, um, this sense of, of detachment and also like a, a profound understanding for how the work that's been done in the pages of this book are almost, almost, I mean, they're, they're significant, like reading this, it's absolutely beautiful. I think people are going to absolutely love the, the book itself, but in the scope of your journey, it sounds like there, there's almost a smallness to them in the sense that you have a, a, a perspective of appreciation for how, you know, the first attempts at writing the mm-hmm. memoir that you were writing um, was therapeutic for you and how it mm-hmm. also helped you to um, practice what you've been preaching when you work with writers and creators mm-hmm. and memoir writers for so long. So it sounds like there's been like a, just so much living in mm-hmm. the course of the creation of what has become Why Bother? And I think that's one of those things that, I wish every writer and creative could have the experience of understanding because in our, in our society, in our culture, we often look at things as successes or failures. Like we, as we, as we would looking at someone's bio, right? Like I said about, Mm -hmm. about your, your career history in that paragraph, but really there's, there's so much more to be experienced, valued, appreciated, and reaped from the journey 
of what is a, a creative process. And, and, and still you can do all the work to try to get it out there to as many people as possible. Yeah, absolutely. When um, the coronavirus was was dawning on us, which now seems like, you know, a lifetime ago, but this was two weeks ago, <laughs> when it was dawning on all of us that we were all together, a group of our friends, and we're like, wow, this is probably the last time we're all going to be together. And one of our friends is immunocompromised, so we knew she was going to go into isolation now. Um, and then a week later, the rest of us followed her, um, you know, not completely, but as much as we possibly can. And, you know, I've got a book tour planned, and we haven't quite canceled. We haven't canceled yet but it's looking like we should just got to help go ahead and cancel it. And I was so bummed and so sad. And we put so much work into all of these things that are just kind of falling away. Mm-hmm. And we were at the table and my, my, one of my friends just looked at me and said, but, but we love you. And I just, it was like in that moment, I needed someone outside of me to make me realize I'm not my book sales, right? <laughs> right? Because that's, that's the place that's so easy for me to go. It's not, I don't think that happens to every writer, but it's not uncommon for sure um, to, to feel that competitiveness. It always reminds me of that story um, from Sue Bender's book, um, Everyday Sacred. And she wrote that in the in the maybe late late nineties. And it was after her first book became a surprise bestseller, which was, um, Oh, I'm looking at my bookshelves. Why can't I remember the name of it? I'll think of it in a second. But um, she tells the story in the second book of the success of her first book. And she's in, she lives in Berkeley and she's in the grocery store and she sees a neighbor and she goes, oh my gosh, you'll never believe what happened. My book became a New York Times bestseller. And she's not a writer. She's a ceramicist who had this experience with the Amish that she writes about. And she's, so she's completely, I think, this innocent in it, at the whole experience and just delighted. And her friend looks at her and she goes, what number? what number on the list? (laughs) And Sue Bender tells the story of like, Oh my God, I realized in that moment, there's like, there's no, there's not enough, right? There's, there's always going to be somebody who says, but more, but, but what about this? And you didn't do that. And you didn't reach that height. And I, I remember many years ago, my first agent who became my first, um, my first editor who became my first agent, excuse me. And she said to me very seriously, uh, this was probably on book, two or three, what is going to be enough for you? Is it going to be the New York Times? How many days or I mean, how many weeks on the New York Times is it going to be, et cetera? And I went, oh, right. Good question. <laughs> really good question. Mm. Yeah, it's really, it, when you really get, when you really drill down into it like that, you know, um, I think we all generally as people set our aspirations around like what we think will give us like joy, pleasure, satisfaction, fulfillment, or enough money to like not give a shit anymore. Like we're all <laughs> like, we're all trying to motivate ourselves to, to do um, to varying degrees on a given day. But when somebody prompts you, you know, would it be enough to, it, it's almost like splitting hairs or, or getting into minutia, but you know, is it enough to just hit the bestseller list? Do you want to mm-hmm. be number one? Do you want to mm-hmm. be on it for a long time? Mm-hmm. And to start asking yourself that question, Jen, to turn this back towards, the book, Why Bother, um, really starts to get you to prompt yourself around what is it that I want and why. And mm-hmm. Why Bother itself has a lot to do with getting in touch with desire and embracing desire as a guiding force in our lives. And mm-hmm. there's a lot to that, right? Like we, we have, a, a, I think, our, especially in the world in which you and I live, this kind of like personal development, online 
world, desire is a big buzzword. And I think we have a better relationship, generally speaking, to desire Mm -hmm. now more than ever, but it's still a very complex word and a complex Mm -hmm. emotion. And so I'm curious about your relationship to desire um, personally and professionally. So uh, maybe we'll we'll steer it back towards, you know, like the, the content of the book itself and answering the question of why bother through desire. So tell me about what's your relationship like to desire? Has it always been clear and defined or have there been bad, have there been battles? Like when someone prompts you about, you know, do you want to hit the bestseller list or not? Oh, Where yeah. the desire comes in. Yeah. Totally. There still is. I mean, I'm, you know, I, I've just revealed that, I don't know, two or three times in our conversation so far. Um, I think t- for me, the way I define desire in the book is it, it feels to me like life force flowing in it. And it, it, it comes in the form of wanting and how we have a healthy relationship to that to me seems like one of the most essential life skills we can develop, but it's one that's shrouded and twisted and sold to us. And it's got, it's got a lot of layers of fear and confusion around it. And I'm right there with everybody and definitely it's better that relationship, that personal relationship than it's ever been. But (laughs) I have a street team right now of people who are readers and uh, follow my work and they're going to help me get the word out about the book. So they're reading an early digital copy of the book. And I'm one of them in the face, we have a private Facebook group to talk about what we're doing. And one of them said, Oh my God, I'm loving the book and blah, blah, blah. And this page. And then I said, Oh, thank you so much. Last night I was laying in bed, like my work doesn't matter at all. And I was in a very dark place and I couldn't go to sleep. And, and then she, she said, okay, this is the book you need to read. It's called why bother. And these are the pages you need to read. And I'm like, Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for reminding me. My husband probably tells me that once a week. And I really do. I mean, I have read, reread my own work. I, I have a paper copy on my desk um, over and over again since it's come out and um, trying to remember that in the crush of the old patterns in my brain and my psyche that I write about in the book about wanting someone outside of me to validate my work versus validating it myself. And so absolutely, I'm in a push-pull with that. Um, It's been interesting because we started planning um, the launch for this book long ago, and I felt like we were so on top of it and so far ahead, and suddenly we're behind and we dropped the ball on stuff, and a lot of it has to do with the virus. Um, But I've also been really frozen because that happens to me when I'm really stressed. I freeze, you know, some people, you know, fight or flight. I mean, there's different things that we do, different combinations. But when I'm really, really stressed, I I freeze. And so I've been going, I've been like knocking off at three o'clock every afternoon. I've been taking a lot of naps. I've been, you know, and I'm like just being really gentle with myself because right now my desire is to take care of myself. And I'm trying to privilege that and not, and put that forward and not freak out that I don't really even know what the book launch looks like right now. Um, And I'm like, how did that happen? How did everything get so hazy and falling apart? And I'm like, I'm going to trust it's going to come together. I'm going to trust that some pieces are together and in action that I'm not really remembering. I'm going to trust my team. Um, I'm going to trust that this is a long haul. I never thought the book would launch big. I always thought it would be a slow burn, that it's going to be word of mouth. Um, so yeah, so the law, that's a long convoluted answer to, oh my God, I still struggle with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and it, it, I think, I mean, anyone who's being honest still struggles with any of these like questions of like, how do we be 
the best version of ourselves, right? And how do we fully live our lives and fully express ourselves and getting in touch with something like desire as esoteric as a concept as it is, is also really becomes really pragmatic, right? Kind of harkens back to the conversation we were having about having one foot in like doing everything you can to publish the book, but also being Mm -hmm. detached from it. Mm -hmm. And that kind of reminds me of some things that you say in why bother Jen around how there's like, there are two kinds of why bother questions, right? And there's like a bright side to asking why bother. It's not that asking why bother as a, as a, is only ever a signal of giving up um, mm-hmm. as, as we tip, as mm-hmm. it typically is when we say, you know, well, well, we're only going to be here each of us for another hundred, you know, whatever, hundred years, 80 years, 50 years, 30 years, if we're lucky. So why bother with climate change or why bother mm-hmm. with X, Y, and Z? These, the, the big daunting questions that we say, why bother to as a signal of surrender, giving up. There's also an upside to asking the question of why bother, right? And, and so what is that? Well, I think the, the, when why bother, what's the point? Who cares shows up. It is a clarion call to pause and find your desire again. But what happens is built into the question is this resignation. We think we already know the answer. We think we've somehow screwed up or the world isn't fair or we can't recover from a loss or grief. We think that the future is being determined by the past or the present. And that's the moment when we have to get super curious because something has ended or been taken from us or lost its joy or its meaning. When we're asking, what's the point? Who cares? We really need to ask. (laughs) But when we usually ask, we're not asking. We're saying, I know, there's no point, right? Who cares? Who cares about climate change? It's too big. I don't know what to do. I'm just one person. I ride my bike to work. Or who cares if my marriage is coasting because the kids are getting, you know, we're comfortable. I mean, really, who wants to have sex anymore anyway? We're in our 50s, you know, or who cares if I write? I mean, there's so many writers out there. It's so noisy. Why should I add my voice to it? What do I have to offer? Oh, my gosh. We think we know the answer in how we're asking in our in our very if we could probably take a picture of ourselves and see what our, our posture looks like, what our breathing looks like, right? Yeah. And what I'm insisting in the book is this is natural and inevitable. It's baked into being human. And the way we ask that question can drag us down and make us settle and shut down and do nothing, or it can actually bring us back to the desire that is in all of us all the time that can animate us and and enliven us. And eventually, maybe in days or weeks or months, who knows? For me, it took years to what's next. But it's all in how we ask. And if we don't wake up to how we're asking, and we're going to have to wake up to it over and over again, right? Because it's just so baked into our culture. Our culture can be so cynical. If we don't keep being able to face into our disappointment and our grief, and our weaknesses and our shadow and and all the things that we know to say, but I know there's more for me. I don't know what that more is going to feel like, but let me open the channel to it by letting myself feel desire again. Mm. So asking the question, why bother? It sounds like Jen, from my point of view, when we say that, when when we use that, that kind of like crutch phrase, which is a signal of giving up, 
it's actually admitting it sounds like yes. that you that you don't know and maybe should answer it for yourself. So the question exactly. is actually we ask it as if it's rhetorical because we assume it's been answered, but it's actually a literal question. Why bother? It's I don't know. I don't yes. know why we should bother, which is a fascinating, fascinating thing to I've never thought of it that way. Yeah, it's just like, whoa. I mean, it's just what your first question was, right? It's it's totally geeking out on how we're using the words and we can, and again, everybody, you listening, you may never say why bother. You may say, what's the point or nobody cares. Or you can start to listen to what is your language? What are your language signs that you're falling into what I call the grubby bummer side of why bother, right? Like it's answered. It's rhetorical. Who cares that whatever answer you have is going to be bad. And that's the moment that we start to pause and bring in all the different ideas and skills that I share in the book more than you'll ever need. Some of them will appeal to you. Some of them won't. Some of them you'll change and mold to be other things that serve you to exactly actually ask the question. Why do I care about writing? Why do I care? Who does care about my voice? Where are they? Am I willing to reach them? What do I need to do to, to, to build my skills? Where am I crapping out on myself? They're very scary and vulnerable questions. They are. They are. But you're sitting up, you're sitting up, aren't you? And your eyes are a little bit open. (laughs) Absolutely. Sure am. My posture is great right now. Um, Yeah. And it's like you said, you said open to it and feel, and that's, that's always, I feel what we do, you know, again, using the Royal we, what we as, as as humans typically shut ourselves down to it is that like Mm -hmm. unknown, uncertain future. And literally you do have to bear like, you're joking about like posture and, and sitting upright, but leading with your heart, mm. expanding, like having a broader chest, you know, like leading in a sense that is proud and determined to go forward into the unknown, um, not just being metaphorical here, but, but quite literally is the essence of what it is to follow our desire or our curiosity and a sense of play and joy, which I think it sounds like to you, Jen, are some of the like emotional keys that help us to unlock what it is that we want. It sounds like we, we actually have to risk the discomfort mm-hmm. and to try in order to know rather than maybe knowing it all in advance or thinking that we can lay out a perfectly strategic plan um, because sometimes things happen and the plan has to go out the window anyway, if not most times. Oh, there is no strategic plan. Can we just like own up to that when we see how much the world has changed in a matter of weeks. (laughs) There is no strategic plan. And if you're in the why bother place and you try to make a strategic plan before you do anything, you are just going to keep cycling back into what's the point. Absolutely. What we have to do is first begin to let wonder open the door to desire. I wonder, I wonder what I want for lunch today. I wonder if I can go for a walk and see things on that same walk that I've never seen before. I tell a story in the book about wonder and how I'm like, oh, my life is so boring. I still live on an island and my, I've walked this walk so many times and I'm going to go for a walk and look for new things. I won't see anything. Maybe I'll see some mushrooms. That's all I'll see. And then I go, I'm walking along. And then I look and there is a water tower that I had never seen before. And I so clearly remember standing on that path in the woods going, 
could that be a new water tower? But it's got graffiti on it and moss. And I'm like, I don't think that water tower is new. I managed to walk this path two, three, four times a week for years and not see that water tower. And now that might sound like, what the heck? How's that going to help me love life again? How's that help me get my desire and figure out what's next? But that's what we do. What we do that keeps us stuck is we keep jumping ahead to wanting to know to certainty, which is exactly how our brains are built. We have to overcome it little by little. We have to get wonder and desire flowing or wonder helps get desire flowing so that we can have the energy to start trying things. And we put the cart in front of the horse. We're like, what am I going to do? What's it going to look like? I'm going to figure it out and then I'll try it. That doesn't work. I promise I tried. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and there's so much of, of what you just said, Jen, beautifully articulated because it really is that it is profound and really simple that mm -hmm. we have to just kind of look around a little bit more and make different choices, conscious choices in a way that feels like pedantic or a way that feels like it gets overly, it becomes like too simplistic mm -hmm. in some like yoga rooms or self-help books, right? Where it just yeah. gets dumbed down or drilled into us so much that we start to tune it down because it just doesn't seem to actually have roots in reality on the one hand, or it doesn't seem, it seems so esoteric and like pseudo spiritual that mm -hmm. it doesn't feel applicable. But when you say something like, as, as you did, that wonder is what gets desire flowing. What, what that tells me is, Oh, like really, if I am feeling stuck and, and like, I don't have a good sense of direction, you know, or, or a lot of motivation. And I start asking myself something like why bother or what's the point to instead ask myself, you know, as we, as we said, no, why, why really bother? Like, and in other words, what am I actually curious about? What do I want to answer? What is, mm -hmm. what are the questions that are nagging at me that I want to even explore and learn about before I even answer them? So it sounds like this inherent curiosity and asking questions and being led by being led by the unknowing rather than stopped by it is yeah. perhaps the way forward into desire. That's a beautiful way to say it. And, and I also think that part of what I try to um, explain, elucidate, explore in the book is that I think we've been missing a piece of the natural transitions that we go through in life, big and small. And I really want to say that why bother can come through for an hour. It can come through for a week. It can come through for five years, right? It can come through in one area of your life, your marriage, your um, intimate relationship, your creativity, your health, and it can be, you can totally know why you bother in other areas of your life. So, you know, it's a shifting thing. It's a shifting um, feeling, state, mood, I don't know, question. But um, what I feel like was missing, has been missing that I tried to talk about in the book and make clear is that we, something ends where it's taken from us or loses its meaning and the next thing isn't clear yet or we're not ready to own it yet because we're too scared or we're, you know, we're shying away from or it's going to change too much about our lives. And we're in the in-between place. And that's what I'm trying to give people guidance on. How do we weather that in-between place in a way that reawakens our desire? So whatever does get chosen next, whatever we do decide to do, again, small or big, has its roots in in really in in knowing ourselves and having 
the energy and the desire to make good choices, to make choices that we can really live with. Jen, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your work and your story. And it's, it's been a pleasure. Oh, totally. Thank you so much. Great questions, Dave. And thank you for listening to this episode of The New Story Is. We'll be back soon with a fresh interview for you. In the meantime, if you're feeling generous and want to help support our show, please rate and review The New Story Is wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps others to find the show. Until next time, I'm Dave Rosillo. This has been The New Story Is. Bye for now.